Hello and welcome to Different Leaf, a show for new and experienced cannabis consumers. I'm Britt Smith. We're closing out 2022 with our third episode of the Queer Cannabis Club, where we shine a light on some of the fascinating LGBTQ leaders making waves in the cannabis industry. Our guest today is Andrea Brooks, CEO of Sava, the leading online marketplace for top-notch curated cannabis in the San Francisco Bay. From the East Bay to downtown, San Francisco is literally full of delivery cannabis options. But Andrea knew that her community would prefer a curated cannabis shopping experience. So she and her co-founders made sure that Sava goes far beyond getting high-end marijuana delivered to the good people of the Bay Area. Sava's menu also allows its customers to shop based on their values. Its digital shelves are stocked full of diverse, locally-owned companies, many of which use sustainable packaging and give back to specific local communities. Thanks to its thoughtful design, Sava's users really do gain a tool that helps them take better control of their wellness and helps them be more conscious cannabis consumers. We'll be right back to chat with Andrea Brooks after this quick break. So, Andrea, what is your background and what's your connection to cannabis? Sure. Like many people that entered the cannabis industry out of passion, my background was completely different. I used to do consulting for NGOs, both domestically and overseas, and was really involved in the health and human services sector. Really, when I just look back at a common theme throughout my life, how can I contribute to making the world a better place? How can I help? And just trying out all different types of avenues to do that, whether it was my work or volunteer work. A lot of my volunteer work has been in animal rescue, so love all the four-leggeds out there. And so I came to cannabis in a very strange way or tragic, I don't know. Basically, I came to cannabis out of medical need. I had a major injury about a little over a decade ago, and it affected my spine and gave me systemic nerve damage in my upper body. And the quicker version of it is that I was told I would never have full usage of my arms again, never be able to go back to a desk job, work full time. And that being on disability was kind of the rest of my life, which was very devastating to hear. And it really just felt like my life stopped overnight. I was you know, very active. I mean, I was doing my volunteer work. I loved my job. I was working at an agency in San Francisco, was doing board work, was in a band and everything just stopped. I also learned that, you know, when you're in severe chronic pain, you'll take whatever is in front of you to make that pain go away. Even if it's not healing your body, you just Mm -hmm. want the pain to stop. And I became one of those people and started, you know, taking what was prescribed to me. I tried not to take everything, but I was definitely taking opioids and other medications for pain, but I didn't improve. And every once in a while I would, you know, get the energy and be like, well, I've got to try this or try that. And I was always searching because I wanted to get back to my life, but I also wasn't really functioning. I wasn't fully able-bodied, but a couple years into this experience, Mm. I crossed paths with a friend who was a grower 
cannabis grower for a long time. And I got this very personalized education about the plant, about the different cannabinoids. This is way before people knew what CBD was or any of the other, you know, minor cannabinoids. And it's strange to mm -hmm. say, but I never thought of cannabis as something that could help what I was going through. And he put me on a protocol. And in one month, I weaned off all of the medications that I had been taking for years. And so that was the experience that sparked my desire to learn more. Wow, that's incredible. I've heard of so many people who have come to cannabis for, for its medical uses. But for it to like change your whole life, like you're never going to be able to work again. And now you're like the CEO of a <laughs> cannabis company. Like, that's incredible. Thank you. It's just I didn't expect this turn, but also so grateful for it. And I think this plant is so amazing. And coming out of the experience, you know, all I could think about was why didn't I come to cannabis sooner? How many other people are out there like me that could be benefiting it. And then ultimately, what am I going to do to change that? And I started doing, you know, a lot of research into the space, into the products, and what ultimately felt right for me. And at that time, I was a woman in her late 30s, tiny bit older now, but I wanted a shopping experience <laughs> that spoke to me. I wanted products that spoke to me. And there's been a lot of evolution in the landscape where you have wonderful brands like 1906 and Can that has like really great branding, clear messaging, but that wasn't always the case. And also a lot of the shopping experiences, I just didn't feel sophisticated. It didn't feel like a quote unquote, regular e-commerce shopping experience. So that is where I mm -hmm. wanted to create Saba is that it's something more sophisticated, best in class. And that when you come to the site, it all looks beautiful. And you just think, I want to try these amazing products. It doesn't feel like I'm on a cannabis website. And really right. yeah. by that end, helping to be a part of normalizing it, that this can just be a part of your your day-to-day -day wellness. Yeah, yeah. I love the change in focus from having like a, it's such a saturated market and like, where do you start to pick your beloved strains or your, your favorite products from? Like how do you, especially in California, there's so many options. And I think it's cool what Sava does in like choosing and curating the menu mm. of items that you can buy. How does it work? How do you guys select what you would carry and deliver? We look at a lot of different things. First of all, we have a mandate that uh, for the companies on Sava, 50% must be owned by women or women identified individuals, 25% by LGBTQ and 25% by BIPOC. So we're always making sure that we keep to those standards and making sure that our values are a part of the shopping experience. Second, we are looking at the quality of a, a product. Does it make, when you take it, does it you know, have the effect that it's designed for? And also, can you understand clearly how to use it? You know, is the THC content clear? The other cannabinoid content clear? Is the customer guided how to use it appropriately? And we also look at the packaging beyond just branding. Is this in 
company environmentally, you know, choosing the best products or materials for their packaging. So that can be, you know, if we were to get two equal products in front of us and I felt that they checked every other box the same, but one company used sustainable packaging and one didn't, then that would be, you know, what does a tiebreaker? You know, it's hard. We have to, there's all these regulations we have to follow around packaging, which is ironic because it's just like the industry is just not green because of all this excess packaging. Mm. But there are companies making headway. There is more recycling, more compostable materials happening. And so we really look for that. And we think it's really important to center that as a part of the process. It's just a passion for both my co-founder and I that if we're talking about making the world a better place, we also don't want to be like trashing the planet. You know, it's not just about improving humans' lives. It's about improving many different components. Yeah, I love that. I love that you carry your missions through every part of the company. Is it just in San Francisco at the moment or is it across the rest of the, of the state? No, it's the extended Bay Area. So we go about an hour and a half north, south and east. So we say like the wider Bay Area. Nice. I used to live out east in Walnut Creek. Oh, yeah. It was like back in like 2015 to 2017. Yeah, I was at Berkeley. And the delivery system out there, it was, you know, five or six years ago, but it was a really different delivery system. It was like you could get weed maps on your phone and you'd pull up the app and you would just pick the nearest because there were hundreds and hundreds of delivery options Mm -hmm. that you could pick from. And these folks would go to the dispensary, pick your items up for you, or they'd work for the dispensary and they'd like drive around with pizza boxes full of products. And they just like look like a pizza delivery guy (laughs) or like a toolbox or something. And they'd just try and (laughs) be really discreet. But the products that they had were just whatever they decided to pick up from the dispensary that morning and go out as a salesman to sell me. It wasn't like I knew where these products products came from or I knew the impact they had on the earth or like who started the company. And I'm a really conscious consumer. I like to put my money in companies that I care about. So like this is such a dream for me to be able to go on a website and pick just from companies that I care about and just from products that I'd really want to try. I mean, that makes me happy to hear. I think in launching the company, part of the proof of concept was that there are many conscious consumers out there that it's important for them. And if they know that, let's say you're getting your favorite product and you want to get something else to try and you're like, I want to just click, you know, outdoor grown cannabis that is women and minority owned, like, and just choose something to give it a go. Like you can shop by values. And so that's something that we do. Yeah. Uh, So I need that. (laughs) And, you know, I do, we are looking to expand to other places, but you know, it's really about, we're not trying to be the cheapest weed. We're not trying to be the fastest delivery. We're trying to be the best quality. And that's best quality while also living our values, because there's a lot in the cannabis industry that needs to change. And that's some of that is about, you know, supporting the artisan brands, supporting different groups that need a seat at the table. Absolutely.
Speaking of seeing change in the industry, as an out leader of a cannabis company, what has your experience been so far? Is it very inclusive? What are you finding it like? You mean uh, the industry at large? Yeah. I will say I've met an incredible amount of people in the industry that have way gone beyond work colleagues that have become friends. And I feel like you find the other people that you resonate and vibe with. But, you know, I think of it not just as LGBTQ, but as a woman, being that I am both and I'm a cis woman. And there's, you know, the combination of that, there's a lot of challenges to still being a woman in the space. It's the same challenges as in tech or in other areas where mm. we're, our numbers are falling. We're not gaining seats at the table. We're losing seats at the table. And a lot of that is around access to capital and things like that. So this is something that's something that is a particular passion of mine, how to mentor other women of color, other queer women of how to you know boost their fundraising skills, because the real truth of cannabis is it's a cash intensive business. And investors want opportunities, yeah. not they're not supporting a nonprofit, they want something that's going to return on investment, you need to build that. But we also need more access. So these are the things I think about the most where it is harder to break in, in some areas. And I think there's an uphill battle to be taken as seriously still, believe it or not, <laughs> but it still still happens. Yeah, mm -hmm. of course. And there's always trailblazers that sort of help move in that direction, but it's early days. It's early days for the entire industry. But to see more LGBTQ and more women and more BIPOC representation in the cannabis industry from scratch, that I think was a pipe dream. It's just, you're right, it's so money-based. Like if we can't get mm -hmm. access to capital, like that's the first barrier. What advice would you give to other women, other queer women who want to get into the industry and are sort of coming up against these issues? I think, you know, just building a strong support network around you, having mentors and advisors, that was really critical for me, especially as I had no tech or e-commerce experience and decided I was going to build an e-commerce company. Uh, granted, I had wow. some you know, fundraising experience, it was just for, you know, NGOs and nonprofits. So I did have a bunch of transferable skills and I knew how to manage money well. But I think it's hard. Doing a startup is hard. And then there's the particular challenges of this industry. There's also so many incredible things about the industry. But even if you have supportive co-founders, it's important to have mentors and advisors and people you can lean on, people you can don't need to be strong in front of people you can be vulnerable with and get that support because the truth is everyone's doing it. No matter how shiny someone looks on social media or in person, they could be, you know, crying in their cereal in the morning and they have someone that they call to pick themselves up. And so building a support network yeah. is just so key and listening to your gut. You know, if something is not feeling right, if someone you're working with or a hire doesn't feel right, make the change. It's not a fun part of owning a company, but you have to keep, you know, centering your gut as best you can and be gentle on yourself when a quote unquote mistake happens because everybody makes mistakes constantly. 
So those would just be things of... Mm -hmm. And it's the only way to learn, really. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody can look back and say, I wish I did this or that. But again, every company does that. And so that's, again, part, I think, of having a right, the right support network around you. And for me, that includes networking and being connected to other queers in the space, because we do have a bit of a different experience. And getting connected to cannabis in this way uh, through a medical lens, I was surprised by what the plant did for me, but I also felt like almost ashamed because I was like, I should already know, like I was working in health and human services in San Francisco. I was doing work with agencies that were a lot of the clients were HIV and AIDS and dealing with, you know, with that. And so that was like my life for so long. And it's the community in the Bay Area in California and Dennis Perone, you know, that got cannabis the first Prop 215, the first medical marijuana law on the books in this country. And that came out of the AIDS yeah. epidemic. And so it was like a very weird thing where I almost was like, shame on me for like, why I already know this, like I already know the benefits, but I also <laughs> had some barrier that, you know, what I had was different and it can only help with these things. And that's not the case. And so it was a relearning in some ways. Yeah, I think it's difficult. Uh, I've spoken to some other out leaders in the industry, and I'm bi as well. And I think that I think a lot of the time what you think is, I don't want to have to come out twice. Like I come out, you know, my sexuality comes out and then I have to come out as a cannabis consumer. And it's almost like it's a, a layer of identity on top of your sexual identity that you just sometimes it's like you don't always want to get involved in cannabis or drugs or you know anything mm -hmm. that's you know seen as an outsider thing but when you actually get into the industry you find that I think that a lot of us get drawn to it like a lot of us will get drawn to creative things a lot of us will get drawn to healthcare and and caring for people and and yeah, it's just sort of, it comes from being in that community, but that's that's what I love about cannabis. I'm starting to see more representation as the years go on as well. What kind of change do you think that you've seen? Have you seen anything in, in like the C-suite levels um, with queer representation? It's interesting because I do feel I have a finger on the pulse of the industry, but also because I'm so driven to work with other queer companies. You know, I feel like there's a bunch of them, but it's really just, I work with many of them. I don't know, like, I'm sure there's other companies that are queer led that I don't know, but I still think comparatively mm. there needs to be way more. I also am hoping that as other states continue to come online and regulation, I mean, we could talk about that for hours and hours, but I do hope that the equity programs and just being able to access entering the industry becomes easier for more people and it's not limited to cishet white men. So I think some of it is happening, but I want to see it way more and I don't think it's happening enough that I want to see. And I think it's really critical for all of those in the space to speak, to speak like what our truth is about our sexuality to be out and to also encourage the companies that we work with to not just be supporting queer brands, 
when it's Pride Month. And so this is something, you know, I spoke a lot about yeah. this past summer was that I was seeing some retailers just bring on a bunch of queer companies for that month. And it's like support, a, you know, we're gay every day, you know, I and like support more queer yeah. companies regularly. Don't, and th that's also goes for BIPOC brands. Like don't just support them during, you know, a month that's celebrating them. I amplify them louder. Yes. But like you can create shelf space all year round for these brands. And I think it's important for us in the queer community to band together to amplify our voices around that. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Come out again, come out stronger. Let everybody know that you're in the industry. Yeah. And like, let's talk about that yeah. queer history of cannabis more than just Pride Month. Let's recognize it regularly. Mm -hmm. It's so important to know the history. And I don't, I don't know how many people are aware of it or how cannabis came to be legal. And, you know, from many groups, the suffering that people went through to get here. And that includes brown and black individuals that are still in jail. You know, it's just, there is a lot more that in this industry that needs to get course corrected. And it comes through coming together and like I said, amplifying your voice. And once you're in cannabis, you're an activist, whether you like it or not, you live it. Cause like you said, <laughs> yeah, Brit, like it is a coming out, you know, and Yes, it's getting more normalized, but it is, it's not fully normalized. It's not fully mainstreamed and it is a coming out. And then you become that person that everyone talks to about cannabis, which can be great, but there's a responsibility there. And I think mm -hmm. there should be a responsibility for anybody that is coming in and making money in the space to be that much more of an activist. You know, it's, the idea that some people just get to come in and take advantage of opportunities while so many suffered on the road to legalization, you know, is incredibly disheartening. Yeah, we want to see more than the, the rainbow washing that happens at Pride yes. Month, for sure. Yes. I absolutely 100% agree. Before I let you go, can you tell us some of your favorite queer brands in the San Francisco area. I know it's going to be hard because you have like an entire website that lists all of them, but <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> if you had to pick, <laughs> what's well, your favorite? You know, there's so many different, but I mean, these are really more California brands, but I love Pharmaceuticals Co. They make the most incredible tinctures and topicals. One of my favorite, favorite brands. I would love to see them continue to grow and get more visibility. Big fan of Colexo's drinks. They're starting to come out with some new SKUs. And I think that brand is really going to grow as well. I mean, definitely a fan of Can, but also excited to support other queer drink brands. And yeah. big fan of Sonoma Hills Farm, their flower, as well as Stone Road. I could go on and on. I really could. Of course, but... <laughs> we love Stone Road. Oh, my gosh. There's yes. so many to pick from, but I'm, I'm grateful for you for narrowing it down just slightly for the Californian listeners. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much, Andrea, for joining us today. It was such a pleasure to meet you. So nice thank to talk you. to you. And I will definitely, next time I'm in San Francisco, I'll be checking out Sava and I do. will be uh, picking from your, your beautiful array uh, <laughs> menu. Thank you. Thanks so much. 
Thanks to our guest this week, Andrea Brooks of Sava. Be sure to go back and check out our previous episodes about the Queer Cannabis Club, the first consortium of companies led by LGBTQ CEOs in the cannabis industry. Well, that's it from us for 2022. We will be back in January with our winter season, which will run alongside the winter issue of Different Leaf the magazine and will focus on medical marijuana, my favorite topic. We'll be talking about everything from pediatrics to pets to pain, and we'll be looking at medical cannabis experiences everywhere from Texas to the UK to Japan. So make sure that you like and subscribe to the show wherever you're listening right now and follow us on social media at Different Leaf and I'm on social media at Brit the British. You can order any issue of Different Leaf the magazine at differentleaf.com or you can find your local in-person retailer under the subscribe and shop tab. That's differentleaf.com. And also make sure you head on over to xdifferentleaf.com to get signed up for our super cool new merch line. That's differentleaf.com and xdifferentleaf.com. Happy holidays, everyone. We'll see you in the new year.